Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. Just a heads up, this podcast retells personal experiences of birth. Talk to your doctor to decide what birthing plan is right for you. Serenity McKay had always wanted to give birth in water. I've just got a big connection to the water. You know, I love the beach and I love swimming and stuff. So to me, that felt like the most comfortable thing for me to do. But unfortunately, when she fell pregnant, water birth wasn't an option at her local hospital. Nevertheless, as a proud First Nations woman with ties to the Biripai Nation, Serenity was determined to feel connected to the earth on which she gave birth. You see, Serenity works for Waminda, a health and welfare corporation that services Indigenous women on New South Wales' south coast. And they run a birth on country program. So Serenity was well aware of the significance of giving birth on country. So she sought the help of her colleagues to make her delivery as culturally significant as possible. From Mamma Mia, you're listening to The Delivery Room, a podcast where we speak to eight different women about what actually happened during childbirth. And my name is Jessie Stevens. Today, I'm sharing Serenity McKay's birth story. And I'll also be chatting to Waminda midwife Melanie Briggs, who helped deliver Serenity's baby as well. Mel was the first Aboriginal woman to become an accredited midwife in New South Wales and one of only two Aboriginal women nationally to have achieved this. So she's helped deliver a lot of babies. Firstly, can you describe what birth on country means for anyone who might not know? Yeah, so birthing on country is a really important thing for us Indigenous women. Connecting to our culture, our country, you know, that's centering ourselves and creates a place for us to feel more safe and comfortable and, yeah. And how do you decide where is the place where you would feel most comfortable? Is that something that the mother decides? Yeah, I think that's something that you decide yourself. For me, it was being in my hometown with people that I love, my family and stuff like that. So, you know, that was birthing on country for me. But it's up to the individual. And can birthing on country take place in a medical or a hospital setting? Yeah, so I gave birth in the hospital, in my local hospital, but the Birthing on Country project, we're trying to, you know, hopefully one day we'll have our own birthing centre and then it'll be a little bit different, more culturally appropriate, yeah. So Mel, what are some of the challenges that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander women face when it comes to birth? I guess there's a few things that come to mind when accessing services and there's the lack of 
the number of Indigenous midwives in the country to how many Aboriginal babies are being born. You know, we've only got just over 300 Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander midwives. It's also having that skilled midwife or birth person with you out on country, you know, the further away from an urban setting you get, the less likely you are to get access, I guess, to highly trained and skilled birthing people. So we want to live out bush and we want to connect ourselves to country. So we have to be able to facilitate that and be able to go out on country and birth on country. So there's that. And then there's also the cultural birthing practices and protocols. It's not respected within the westernised medical models, you know, since colonisation. So I guess, you know, the problem is, is that we're not able to connect to country whilst birthing in a hospital setting. And, you know, we do use a lot of cultural ways. It's just been adapted to things that happen in birth at the moment. So, you know, oils and, and stuff like that. So it's taken away the context of traditional birthing practices as how they used to be and, and it's sort of, yeah, it's, it's not how it used to be. And can you describe, because obviously with Australia's history, this is something that a lot of generations of Indigenous women have been deprived of. What does it mean when a mother can't give birth in the way that she wants to? Like I've read, for example, that spiritually and, you know, psychologically that can be really, really bad for the mother or, or the baby. What are the consequences of not allowing a woman to decide where she wants to give birth? Yeah, I think you're right with the spirituality thing, you know, it does play a big factor. In my case, not having my own birth plan and not deciding what I wanted to do with my birth, you know, that took a massive toll on me and probably why my labour ended up taking so long because I was so distraught over the fact that it wasn't my decisions and it wasn't for me. What were the first signs that you had that you were in labour? Well, I was one of the unlucky ones. So I ended up going 16 days over my due date and I had to be induced. So I didn't have any contraction, didn't have any early labour stuff until, you know, I was in the hospital and then a few hours before I gave birth, you know, I got the heavy contractions, yeah. And can you describe what that felt like? I can't imagine, so 16 days of you just waiting to give birth to this baby what were they like were you just desperate to get this baby out oh yeah they were the most uncomfortable days of my life I was so anxious I just wanted this baby out of me at this point I was like he hates me he doesn't (laughs) want to come out (laughs) just too comfortable perhaps yeah he was just way too comfortable how long did your labor take when you were induced how long were you in labor I think it ended up being like 20 hours all up. Yeah. Wow. Like I think I was induced at like 7 a.m. in the morning and then I gave birth to him at 3 a.m. the next day. Yeah. That is a <laughs> really long time. Yeah. And I was in pre-labor for I think it was like two weeks before that too. What does pre-labor mean? Well, I didn't really know what it meant <laughs> until I was in the birthing suite. And I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, you've been in pre-labor for, you know, two weeks. You've two centimetres dilated. And I was like, oh, okay. I just thought they were like Braxton Hicks contractions yeah. or just, you know, the slight discomfort and stuff. And I was obviously a little bit dilated as well. And throughout those hours of you being induced and actually being in labor, like what were you 
doing? Who was in the room with you? How did you pass the time when you're in pretty serious pain, I'd imagine? So I had my mum there and then my partner. And then I also had my two midwives from my work. They were there with me as well. So I pretty much just stayed in the shower the whole time or I was outside in the sunshine. And then once I had the epidural, I ended up having to sleep for about three hours. (laughs) Yeah. And when you actually gave birth, you've had that epidural. Did you feel the part of actually giving birth or did that help with those final, you know, hours of having the baby? Yeah, it definitely helped. So what happened when I had the epidural, it was either that or a cesarean. So I had the epidural and then had a sleep for roughly three hours. They just wake me up when they check my OBS and then woke me up again when it was time to push. I could feel it a little bit. It wasn't comfortable, but um, yeah, I could feel it, which I did want to feel it a lot more than what I did. But, you know, that's the way it could crumble. <laughs> did you have support from your community in terms of the birthing process? Because, you know, whether it's for cultural reasons or whatever, every mother wants a different birth plan, I think. Did you feel like you had enough support from members of the community to really execute it the way that you wanted to? Yeah, I definitely did. You know, I obviously had my friends and family and then with the Birth in a Country project, I had the same midwives the whole way through and they're members of community too. They work um, in the same organisation as me. Yeah, so I felt like I was really supported in that way. Yeah, definitely. I've read as well that for some women, depending on where you live in Australia, when you go into labour, you can be taken to a hospital that's like an hour away or something from your actual hometown. Can you describe what it meant actually having your baby in your hometown? Like is that land and was that place very important to you? Yeah, it was definitely important for me to have Bobby close. I wasn't too keen on the hospital itself, but I definitely felt more at peace knowing that he was born in my hometown and all my friends and family were close and they could pop up whenever they wanted. Yes, I was very grateful to have that. You know, I don't think I would have felt the same if he was born in a different hospital where that's, you know, a couple of hours away. Yeah. Can you describe why that is so meaningful to members of the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities that there is a connection to the land that they were born and that their ancestors were born like why is that so important because we belong to the land we come from the land and it's our connection it's our kinship systems it's our bloodlines it's our lineage it's our being you know Mm. there's more than just saying i want to birth on country it's actually you're birthing in the place where your ancestors walked where our ancestors walked and where we know we're from like we know where we come from we know that we are the oldest living culture on this planet so we need to keep our bloodlines and our songlines strong on country so this is it's all about our people keeping strong and you know thriving in a very westernized system westernized societies you know how do we keep ourselves grounded and strong and heal every day in this crazy craziness you know like so That is why birthing and connecting to country and healing on country is so important for our people. So how did it feel for you to give birth in a hospital, Serenity? 
yeah, I did not feel like I was in control of my actions whatsoever. I mean, the hospital obviously is a very clinical space as it is. And then putting an Aboriginal woman in that setting just didn't sit right with me. Obviously, there's a lot of stereotypes around Aboriginal women or Aboriginal people in general. So I didn't feel like I was completely safe from the get-go. But in saying that, with the support of my mum, who's Aboriginal, and then my other midwife, who was part of the Birthing Non-Country Project and is Aboriginal, that made it a hundred times better. And, you know, they advocated for the decisions that, you know, I wanted. Mel, in what ways has the Western medical system not served Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander women? As you say, it's incredibly medicalised and often if you are someone who lives in a regional area, you're taken to somewhere that's nowhere near where you feel like you belong. What other ways has the Western system really let women down? Well, look, where the hospitals are based, it is country. It's our country. So the country in which all westernised systems sit is Aboriginal land and always will be. So I think that needs to be acknowledged that you know, birthing on country, it can be in a hospital setting and it can be with a known midwife and it should be with your aunties and your grandmothers and your sisters and a known Aboriginal midwife. So the impacts that have led to the disparities and, you know, the health gaps and, you know, all of those things is colonisation and it's led to poorer health outcomes for our people. And then when you look at birthing, you know, our birthing practices are no longer Mm. well they are but in very very remote settings there are some women that are able to birth at home and have home births and that's still birthing on their place of their country or or off country and that's okay but I guess the implications that the westernized medical obstetric models have led to like cause is the displacement of women off country and they've attempted to break the lineage of our connection to country through removing us from our places of where our ancestors grew up. And, you know, you look at the mission managers and and all of those times when our people were forcibly removed and placed on missions, that was a cutoff from, you know, our country. Our people travelled distances and with the seasons and all of those things and that was stopped by placing our people on missions. So, you know, the medicalised systems, they're there for a reason. Like I guess I guess what I'm trying to say is that I'm not saying that birthing on country does not need medical systems because we do because of the impacts that colonisation has had on our people and caused us to be unwell and sick. So, yes, we need those models. Yes, we do. But I think what I'm trying to say is that Aboriginal birthing cultural practices need to be led and owned by Aboriginal women on country, in community, with the Western medical sisters, allies, birthing people standing aside and waiting until they're needed. So we do need support with, you know, medical intervention and, you know, we're human too. So I guess it's like we want to be able to practice traditional birthing practices and cultural practices during pregnancy, birth, postpartum. We want to be able to do all those things, but we want to be the holders of that knowledge and not hand it over and we want to be respected and supported in that space and allow our 
non-Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander midwives and doctors to stand aside and allow us to do our job for our women on country and then come in when they're needed. Absolutely. And I was going to ask about that in the context of COVID because in the last Mm. 12 months or so, it's become an even more solitary experience in some hospitals because you couldn't have multiple visitors. And as you say, it's critical to the mother to have aunties or sisters or mothers around. What's the impact been on the Aboriginal community? Oh, look, I tell you, it's it's been hard. Our women are struggling because we need our people, our core people who fill us because each person in our lives provides something safe for us or, you know, something healing for us. We, we take a bit from everybody and our aunties and our grandmothers and our sisters and our cousins give that to us, especially in that time of, you know, having a baby. And what I've seen is that women are needing to choose between their partner who could be male or female and having to choose between them and their mother or their sister or their person that supports them, you know, like that is a scary thought. Like we want our women to feel nurtured and loved, especially during a pandemic. Oh, my God. Mm. So, yeah, it's been very stressful. They want their people with them, you know, and it's with an unknown care provider. It's in a hospital. You know, our people go there when they're sick. They don't go there to have – we shouldn't be going there to have babies. Not when you're healthy and well anyway. And I've heard that there is a certain ritual that is sometimes part of birth on country that happens after the baby is born. Did you partake in that ritual serenity? Yep. So the Birthing on Country Project, they held a smoking ceremony for our babies, welcoming them to country. So, yeah, I took part in that. Uh, I think my baby was only a couple months old when that happened, yeah. And what do you actually do? What does that ceremony look like? So it's just all of us women standing around. We were all in a big circle and we had one of the aunties do an acknowledgement to country and then everyone got smoked, all the babies got smoked. Yeah, it was really beautiful. We were climbing in Oka. Yeah, it was just a really beautiful day. <laughs> it sounds so special and so beautiful as a ceremony after giving birth. Now, Mel, you've been doing this for a while. You're at Serenity's birth. You've assisted many, many more. What are some positive birth stories you've come across that you're able to share? What's an experience that you're a part of that you go, this is how birth in our communities should be taking place? Yeah, I've seen quite a few beautiful births. I can't pick one in particular, but I think putting them all together and analysing and thinking, yeah, this is the ideal birthing, having a woman, an Aboriginal woman from country and an Aboriginal midwife from country with my auntie and her mother there and then just being there in that woman's space and holding the space for her to just be there when she needs us it would preferably be out on country in the right birthing place at the right time, just being with women. It sounds like it's a place where the mother feels safe and supported by the people that she loves and the people who know what they're doing, mm. having those right people around her. 
Yeah. And know her fears and know her looks, know her sounds, knows when to call it when she wants. Like you just basically need that look. You don't even need to speak mm. sometimes. It's just the power of those relationships, those blood connections because, you know, if her mother is my auntie, she's my daughter as well. Like I'm caring for my baby. Like that's how I see it as an Aboriginal woman. And how old is your child now, Serenity? He'll be two in August. So nearly two years on, are there things that you would want to change about how you gave birth if you were to do it again? Yeah, probably. (laughs) I would probably often to take less pain relief and I would one day like to birth at home if I'm given the chance. I'd love to do that or, you know, still do a water birth. What appeals to you about birthing at home? I've watched lots of videos of it and it just looks really comfortable. The mums always look so relaxed, really peaceful. So when I was pregnant with my baby that I had, I was watching lots of videos and I just remember going, wow, they are so at peace. I would love to do this. But I was just so anxious to do it for my first baby, you know, being a brand new mum, not knowing what to expect. I wanted to do it, you know, in a hospital setting and then hopefully down the track if I have any other babies, yeah. then you know, I can do it that way, yeah. And for Aboriginal women who are looking to give birth and have a lot of the same wishes you do, what advice would you give them about planning? The only advice I would probably suggest is, you know, you are in control of your own birth and, you know, you are the mum, you know yourself, you know your body, you've grown that baby for nine months inside of you, you know, trust your gut, it can go a long way. I mean, I probably wasn't strong enough in that aspect, but, you know, having the support that I did, that definitely, definitely helped my case. So, you know, having that support and speaking up and using your voice, you know, as I said, you're the mum, you know what's best for you. And it can be really hard to advocate when it's, as you say, your first time and you feel like you don't know much, so you want direction, but you also have desires about how it might go that are really important to you. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, 100%. Thanks for listening to The Delivery Room. If you've liked this podcast series, feel free to share it with your friends and family, whether they're pregnant and wanting to prepare or considering having kids one day or just hugely interested in the real-life magic that is a woman giving birth. We know they will enjoy it too. This episode was produced by Gia Moylan and our executive producer is Eliza Ratliff. I'm your host, Jessie Stevens, and if you want to hear more from me, you can listen to Mamma Mia Out Loud or True Crime Conversations. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of the land we have recorded this podcast on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures.